Welcome back to the Knox Check-In, the podcast of health studies at Knox College. This is Jonah Rubin. At the forefront of so many of our public debates about pandemic response, about COVID, about the safety measures that we want to undertake, have been our schools. Schools play a critical function in obviously educating students, but also in providing basic childcare that makes our society work. Today on the podcast, we're going to be hearing an interview that Ria Dahal, Mia Dudgeon, and Jody Gormley did with Courtney Knuth. Courtney Knuth is a health services coordinator for District 205, the local Galesburg School District. Mia, Ria, Jody, take us away. My name is Jody, and I am a junior at Knox, and my major is biology. I'm Mia, I'm a junior as well, and I'm a biochem major. Hi, my name is Ria. I'm a neuroscience major and I'm graduating this term. So um, our podcast podcast is mainly focused on you and learn more about how COVID has affected you and your profession. But um, to begin, we would like to ask a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Um, So I am, I believe this is like my third full school year. I believe, um, third or fourth, <laughs> I'm losing track already. Um, but that's, um, that's how long I have been a nurse in the district. Um, prior to being a nurse, I worked at Cottage Hospital on the medical surgical unit. Um, and so I had a major shift of gears from going to a hospital setting to an educational setting. Um, and prior to that, um, that was really my first nursing job was at Cottage Hospital. Um, and I graduated, I went to University of North Texas initially, and then I went to Collin College in Texas. And then I got my nursing degree at Sandberg with my bachelor's from Western Governor University. So I've been around a couple different universities. I'm currently looking into more universities to get my master's. Um, and um, I was born and raised in Galesburg. And so um, while I went to Texas for a little while, it's nice to be back in my, uh, my home my home stomping grounds, I guess. So, um, did you always know you wanted to be a nurse? Um, how did you decide that you wanted to become an RN? Absolutely. So, um, I have a, a strong family history of nurses in my family. Um, but when I was in high school, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, for secondary education, um, I actually went to be a high school English teacher. Um, and then I, so I started taking. Um, those courses at University of North Texas. And um, while I was doing that, my um, my grandma had recently passed away and she had a lot of health issues that I was helping care for her. And um, that had sparked my interest. And then a, another family member was going through nursing school and I was way more interested in that curriculum than English education. So um, I definitely was able to quickly figure out what I really wanted to do, but it's not what I wanted to do since I was a, a little girl. Um, but yeah, the 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 whole aspect of just caring for others, that's that's really what I'm all about. And so um, yeah, I'm really this is definitely what I'm meant to be doing is being a nurse. So Yeah, I'm so glad you found that. Um, what would you say your major responsibilities are as health coordinator? So really as the the health services coordinator, um, really making sure that we're doing what is 
required from us by the state, um, making sure we're following the mandates of the school physicals, the vaccinations, um, and in a hub um, overall, just ensuring that all students and staff are as safe as possible in the education environment. Um, there's a lot of responsibilities, especially now with uh, COVID related, but really those responsibilities are the same in a normal school year. They're just really emphasize this year amidst a pandemic. So, um, you know, when there is a communicable illness, you know, we are determining, you know, who is at risk for contracting that illness and then um, making sure that we're excluding those who may possibly spread it to others. We really want to limit that spread of communicable illness in the school setting, just as you would in a community. Um, our role is just within our school environment. Um, was a pandemic or epidemic ever a discussed topic during your studies, like in as an RN or anything like that? Oh, you know, I'm sure at, it was. Um, I don't think it's going to, it was um, as uh, in depth of a discussion as it probably will be moving forward for people going through nursing school. Um, there is so much curriculum that is discussed though um, that I can't remember specifically, but I, I am almost certain that we covered that topic, but um, I think no matter how prepared you are for a pandemic um, or epidemic or anything like that, um, it's, you know, once you get your feet kind of wet in it, like we are right now, um, your knowledge just vastly expands um, by going through something um, rather than just trying to learn about it prior to. And did, did you ever see it coming like as big as it was? No, uh, but I will say it, um, it is ironic because we were um, kind of revisiting our pandemic preparedness plan a couple months prior to this. And so um, if that was, that was a coincidence that I, while we were preparing for that, we didn't uh, see that coming. But um, yeah, when, when it first started, you started hearing of the cases and the spread. Um, I definitely anticipated it. But nobody, I think, knew because none of us have ever went through a pandemic before. Um, and so, or at least I haven't. Um, and so I did not know, you know, everything was going to get shut down. You just don't know those things until they kind of came to us. That's wonderful that you were just working on that. Um, would you say that you have changed some policies or like what protocols do you have for your employees, patients, and just the school environment with regards to COVID? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have, I wouldn't say we've necessarily changed, we just added um, and we've added those protocols of like COVID related exclusion criteria and things like that prior to people returning back to the workplace or back to school. Um, but because we have added that, that portion is constantly changing just based off of guidance from the state and um, our local health department. So. Um, while our previous policies haven't really changed, the current one that have been added, that is definitely constantly changing. And I foresee that to be changing, you know, as we progress into hopefully further stage, uh, phases of the pandemic and, um, and heaven forbid, if we go back, um, then we have to reflect that guidance as well and kind of tighten up our ropes a little bit. So, um, but yeah, the COVID related exclusion criteria, um, that really aligns with what IDPH requires, um, that has been a main um, addition to our protocols this year. 
Definitely change the situation. Um, so as people do start going back, has your work shifted a little bit? Yeah, it's um, it's gotten a lot busier, um, as I'm sure you can imagine, just with, um, you know, when we were in a remote setting um, initially in the fall, you don't have as many people coming into the buildings. You had the, the options for teachers to be working from home. Um, and then when students were not coming in the building or they were coming in on a limited basis, um, when you have everybody coming in, um, then we're monitoring any symptoms that may um, be exhibited at school. We're excluding them. Whereas if they were just at home, we wouldn't necessarily be aware. Um, so that volume of um, people who are needing to be excluded, um, that definitely um, increases the more people that we have in a building. Yeah, off that, with the um, increased number of people getting vaccinated, um, since you're in public health, how do you deal with people who aren't vaccinated or against being vaccinated? So right now it's not required for the workplace. That's completely um, their own decision. We don't require documentation um, for proof of them receiving a vaccine. And currently um, IDPH guidance is whether you're vaccinated or not, the same quarantine exclusion criteria applies to you. Um, so really there isn't too much of a difference except for me kind of being that cheerleader, promoting them to kind of do their part. And, um, and I think it's confusing for a lot of people um, when they feel they're fully vaccinated, that then they can kind of do whatever they want. And while it does provide protection, there's still just research being done about transmitting to other people and things like that. Um, and so I'm hoping that eventually we'll get there when we are fully vaccinated and we don't have to follow the quarantines and things. But right now it's, it's pretty similar whether you're vaccinated or not. So um, it's just me kind of pushing people to do their part in aiding and preventing the spread. So. Um, and have you received the vaccine? I have. Yes, I got my second dose on Friday, so that was exciting. I felt I felt good about doing my part, but um, I definitely don't shame those who do not feel comfortable getting that right now or for whatever their reason may be. But. Just for the people who are listening, how would you say your body reacted to the vaccination for the first dose and the second one? You know, I, um, my arm was very sore and that was really the main, um, the main side effect that I had, um, which can be common with other vaccines like the tetanus or something. Um, I did have a little bit of redness at that spot. Um, I, I am fortunate where I'm a pretty healthy individual. And so I really didn't experience any adverse reactions or anything like that. So um, I was overall pleased and I feel I feel good being a little bit more protected for myself. And um, are there certain protocols at work that you don't agree with? Um, well, I wouldn't say that I, um, I don't agree with them, but it is a struggle um, when you are a people pleaser and you are enforcing certain protocols um, that are strict and they're ever changing and they may be confusing and some people don't agree with them. and. Um, and that is a constant balance um, where you learn that, especially in a pandemic, uh, you know, people have conflicting views anyway, and you put a pandemic on top of that, and that's also emphasized a little bit more um, because it's another thing to uh, agree and disagree on. So that has been a challenge is just making sure people understand, you know, why the certain protocols are enforced and um, 
and doing my part in, in doing that. Yeah, how do you deal with this dis disconnect between the public and yourself being a healthcare professional? Yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of it is really, I encourage people to educate themselves and with reliable resources. And um, there's a lot of false information out there. And especially with social media, it's quick, um, it's easy to take some information, whether it's false or accurate, and kind of exploit that everywhere. Um, and so, you know, when it came to the vaccine, for example, there were a lot of questions about that. And so um, I just do my part and working closely with the health department and providing and leading them, I guess, to accurate resources and information. Um, so then that can they can make the best decision for themselves. Great. And also relating to that, would you say that you have been able to mandate the mask policies at work? Yeah, you know, um, I think we're fortunate in um, people have had a lot of practice in wearing their masks now that it's been about a year that we've been into this. Um, and so really the compliance with wearing a mask, people are doing a great job, better than I expected. Um, we have great staff who really are good about reinforcing um, and working with kids. They know the students um, really, um, really well. And so they know the little tricks and things to get the students to, you know, to wear that face mask and, um, and staff have been really great about wearing them too, for the most part. So, um, you know, if you see somebody who's, who's not complying, you just, you reiterate, you, you follow and um, kind of remind them like, hey, this is why this is important. And we all need to do our part if we want to be in school, which I think everybody does at this point. So we all need to do our part to make sure that we're all healthy and able to remain in school. How would you say the students reacted to the whole COVID? I personally am not, um, I don't know how accurate of an answer I can give um, because when all of this happened, uh, we were kind of all withdrawn from the, uh, from the workplace. And so um, I didn't really get to have that student interaction that I typically would um, when this initially happened. Um, I think now it was, it was neat when I started seeing students come back in person and they're just so excited. I think they um, really are, were excited to get back and have that social interaction with their teachers in person and with other students, even though it's in a little different setting um, and a non-typical environment. Um, it, it's neat seeing how much that they're excited to be back. Um, in our class, we listened to patient care, or we talked about um, all-round care. How do we listen to patient stories and adapt to them? Um, so absolutely. I. Um, I have a little bit more interest in that just with the healthcare background. I definitely want to know how people are feeling, you know, what treatments they're getting, what their doctors are recommending, you know. Um, I, and I appreciate those who are open and um, willing to provide that information to me and a little bit of insight on their experience. And, um, and it's important for, um, for me to understand what um, I personally have not went through um, a COVID diagnosis, but I have had those close to me. And then, um, of course, you know, people throughout the community who have had COVID. Um, and it is important to know their experience and what they go through and what I can do to support them through that, even if it's just a little bit of mental and emotional support. 
um, you know, you do what you can. Wonderful. Um, do you have any interesting patient stories? Or I don't think so. There's not one that really comes to mind. Um, How about not during COVID? Oh, I could probably go on and on about interesting patient stories throughout my nursing career, but um, my mind is jumping back to a very complex patient scenario that I had um, at Cottage Hospital. Um, in the school environment, you see a lot of patient cares. Um, that's really the, the first aid, and, um, and if we notice any abnormalities, then they really follow up with their primary care pro provider. Um, and we receive information that's really only pertinent for us to know within the school environment, just for privacy purposes. Um, so we may not get all of the details in those um, specific student scenarios. Um, and, but there are, um, there are a lot of people who have complex medical issues. There's a lot that's going on with their care. And, um, and it's interesting how many different uh, medical diagnoses are out there and how many kids truly um, learn at a very young age how to you know go through life with their medical conditions and how they are able to navigate through a school environment and they really you know even with diabetic students for example they are really great at being independent and learning their diabetic cares at a young age and um and it's really it's neat to see their growth throughout school um, from them starting out with that initial diagnosis and then within a couple years they could be completely independent in their diabetic cares and that's just really I uh, that's something I didn't necessarily expect when I came into this role and it's been a very neat thing for me to see. What has been the most surprising experience for you? Surprising is probably um, you know, usually I think of surprising as a, like a very positive surprise, um, but I would say this pandemic, you know, really caught me off guard and I would say it surprised me as well as others. Um, and um, yeah, I would say that's probably been the most surprising and um, one of the things that has really caught me most off guard. And um, which test do you like better, the saliva or the, I think the nasal one, right? Yeah, so no. I actually have not done the saliva test, um, so I've only done the nasal test. The saliva sounds um, more comfortable, <laughs> for sure, um, but really the nasal one, um, you know, especially the rapid that don't have to go way up in there, um, they really aren't too bad, so um, I know the PCR test is kind of the gold standard. So um, majority, I think, around here are doing the nasal swabs. And um, yeah, I haven't personally done the saliva one. It's a little awkward. But... <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> they both kind of are, right? <laughs> yeah, they both are. But um, which one do you think is more accurate? Because one comes in pretty soon, and the other one takes at least 48 to 72 hours. Yeah, so... Because here we um, we really refer them um, to their primary care doctor, or the health department, um, and get a negative or get a COVID test if um, that's needed. Um, really, we follow with the nasal swab. Um, I believe that the saliva test—that's something that's used for more of um, 
I just actually attended a webinar about this the other day, um, but it's more for screening um, and it catches those that are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, um, whereas those who are symptomatic, they really are still um, using the nasal swab is my understanding. So um, I would still recommend the nasal swab just because it kind of encompasses all of those. Um, but definitely the saliva is a great way at preventing um, the spread prior to, you know, symptoms occurring or things like that. And do you have any policies in schools for testing? So when people come back, they have to have a result or people get tested every so often? Yes, so um, we really follow the IDPH guidance on that for schools. Um, so if there is a symptomatic person, for example, there's a lot of layers to things which can overwhelm a lot of people, but um, I'll try to keep it simple. And um, if there's a symptomatic person, they really have three options because we can't mandate them um, to get medical care. That's always this person's choice, right? So um, we do always recommend that they follow up with their primary care doctor. We recommend that they get a COVID test if they do have any symptoms at all. Um, either their doctor will order that test or they'll provide an alternate diagnosis. Um, but if neither one of those are done, then that symptomatic person's just out for 10 days along with any other household contacts or siblings that may be in the school environment um, before they're able to return. Well, thank you. Um, with all these changes that we've seen in healthcare over the past year, um, where do you see your career going within the next couple of years? Absolutely. So um, I feel like I could, uh, not that I have the energy right now to tackle on another pandemic, but I definitely feel like, you know, we have our feet wet and we are prepared now and we kind of know what to expect. But um, but I, I absolutely consider, um, can see myself still um caring for for people and doing what really I need to do as a nurse within the community and and just helping people. That's wonderful. And what would you say is the best part of your job? I would have to say um, having that interaction with students and really helping them um, understand their medical diagnoses um, and being able to help them um, become more independent in their cares and seeing that growth. Um, as a nurse, it's in general, I think a lot of nurses can agree, if not all, that um, when you provide care and you see patient improvement, um, that's, that's the best thing is seeing positive outcomes from the care that you provide. And so I would say that um, in a school environment and outside of a uh, school environment, just in nursing in general, that would probably be the best part. And. Um how do you stay up to date with new healthcare technologies? In the school setting, um, for example, a lot of, um, like when I think of medical technology, um, it's like the insulin pumps and things like that that we see that are ever-changing. Um, and honestly, the, the Pediatric Diabetic Resource Center at OSF, they provide excellent training for, um, for staff and, um, and for parents who um, have a, a diabetic kiddo. And so um, they have a great training resource, but then also parents and students are really great, honestly, at navigating their equipment, teaching the nursing staff if we aren't aware or familiar with theirs, because there are so many different versions out there. How do you deal with misunderstandings in your field? Well, um, this would be similar with um, whether you're in a, an educational environment or um, a hospital setting or wherever you are, um, whenever there's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, um, it's always important to explain, you know, uh, 
what you know about that topic and kind of where you're coming from and also gather their insight as to um, what they know, what they understand about that topic and see where those gaps are, um, where that misunderstanding is coming to play and then, and then address those. Earlier, we talked about just changing the policies for a pandemic. So who are the professions in your advising community whom you work with for health-related policies? So I, um, my direct supervisor is um, the superintendent. And so um, while I provide um, my input on, you know, health-related protocols, um, like the pandemic and things, um, he ultimately, we work together um, along with others, members in the central office, the assistant superintendent. And we all work together to see what works best because, um, you know, there's a lot of different interdisciplines in an educational setting. And we need to make sure that those health protocols, what do we need to do in food service, for example, to make sure that we're following what we need to do in a, in a realistic way that we're able to do that. And so um, it's really a team effort. We work closely with the health department, of course, um, and really it, it involves everybody coming together and just really doing their part on that team. And I'm just curious, you mentioned having a lot of diabetic kids or pre-diabetic kids at um, the school place and the food service. So I'm just wondering how it goes together. Do you have like different food services for people who might have different health conditions? Um, how adaptable are the kids with their diet? Absolutely. So um, that's a lot of education reinforcement in the nurse's office is, you know, what healthy behaviors to eat related to their medical diagnosis. And even if they don't have a medical diagnosis, there's a lot of unhealthy eating habits out there. Um, and so really reinforcing that the teachers are great and physical education staff are great about providing that education also. Um, but we do work closely with food service. We make sure that the carbs um, are aligned with the menu that day before we're treating uh, the kiddos for insulin for the food that they eat. And yeah, really just that education reinforcement and then um, making sure that we have that accurate count of carbs and that the teachers are aware that if there is a snack or something going on in the classroom that we need to be notified um, and work with the parents and work with the students um, for diabetics. How do you balance your work with everything else going on? So I am a mom of two little kids. So um, I lately it's been challenging just having the energy for both work and at home. I've been finding myself going to bed by eight o'clock at night. So um, really trying to take care of myself the best that I can so I have the energy to keep up with everything. So it's important for me to not only teach, you know, healthy behaviors, but I also need to make sure I'm trying to, you know, get my physical activity in, make sure I'm eating the right foods, getting sleep, um, so then I can do the best that I can do just all around. Some days, I feel like I, I don't hit that and other days I do better than others, but that's that's really what my goal is because um, I it's important for me to to model what I what I try to encourage others to do. So I try my best, but I'm not perfect <laughs> by any means. So um when interacting with patients, do you feel differently now that like you, you may have concerns with your health and their health in mind? So I really feel um, comfortable personally, um, but again, you know, I consider myself a pretty healthy individual, but I do um, 
feel comfortable with the precautions that are in place um, should I need to care for somebody who is symptomatic or um, or who does have a positive COVID diagnosis and and for some reason we were to find out if they are in the school setting and really quarantining them and getting them out as quickly as possible. Um, you know, I, I feel comfortable and I think um, maybe a lot of people feel more comfortable now, um, especially since we've been in it so long, we're learning a little bit more about how the virus is transmitted and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think and it sounds, um, it's so simple, but really just the washing your hands, keeping your distance, wearing the mask, just the little things can really help protect you quite a bit. So would you say that your mindset has changed from like a year ago from when it first started happening to now? Yeah, I would say I definitely feel more comfortable just because we know more about the virus. Um, but should I need to dive in there and care for people, you know, a year ago, if we never closed down, I absolutely would. That's amazing. Would you say you've seen certain mental health issues coming up with regards to COVID and the students? Um, well, I have sure, um, you know, heard that other places are struggling with mental health, and I definitely anticipate that being an issue. Um, and the more that we see students um, enter the buildings, um, the more I think it'll be a benefit for everybody for them to have those resources by them. We have, you know, great counselors. We have Bridgeway counselors in the schools, and um, we have Mindy Ritchie who provides um, a lot of the social emotional learning for students and staff um, that I think are very needed right now, especially because of just everything that um, has happened the past year. Um, a lot of people have underlying mental health. Um, diagnoses anyway. Um, and I think all of those and their associated symptoms have been exacerbated um, throughout the pandemic. And so it's really important to have those resources and continue to look at what resources are available for people. Definitely. And one of the discussed topics during the start of pandemic with students being online was how to deal with abuse, right? So if teachers don't get to see them, it's hard. It's harder to detect that students might be abused at home. And are there certain ways the school is trying to deal with that currently or? Yeah, and now, um, you know, whenever we're all mandated reporters, and so whenever we have any suspect at all um, or suspicion at all, you know, it's our obligation to report things. And so um, it's also um, important when we were remote learning um, that students are still going to the doctors, we're doing our, our part to encourage them to go get school physicals and stuff because it's important for, you know, while we are mandated reporters, it's important for other people who are also mandated reporters um, to see um, actual, you know, get their eyes on the kiddos. And we have outreach workers that would still go to the homes and, um, and check on students. And so we definitely had ways to, um, to still address that. Um, but by all means, I feel it's best addressed when we're able to actually see and interact with the kiddos every day. On the other hand, what positives do you think have come out of the pandemic? Well, you know, I honestly feel like there have been quite a few positives and I wish I would have had time to like prepare because uh, during, um, you know, last summer when we were kind of all in lockdown, um, I was really trying to reflect and and 
think of all of the positives because um, like, I don't know about you guys, but I had a lot more family time <laughs> um, because of it. Um, when typically we're just so busy going through the in and out of every day um, that you were actually able to really value. Um, and I was able to do a little bit of more um, things for, for myself that like just even reading that I typically don't even have the time to do. Um, but I, I think it is important. There's a lot of things um, just in the health protocol, like washing your hands off and things that are really emphasized right now. And like you see at grocery stores, them wiping down carts and things and all of that really should happen all the time. You know, uh, I think that would not be a bad idea um, to keep encouraging that. And, um, and so I think the awareness to just the simple um, ways to protect yourself from illness, not just with COVID, but any other illness, um, those are important things to, to really highlight. And I think they needed to be highlighted. And so um, I think that's, that's a good takeaway. Definitely. And with such a busy schedule going on, what motivates you to work every day? Uh, well, really, to, it kind of boils down to just making sure everyone is cared for. So making sure people are safe, making sure people feel comfortable you know, to come to school, to come to work, making sure those that are here are, are protected and as safe as possible. And um, that's, that's really kind of the bottom motivator for me is just trying to do my part. And did your schooling prepare you for being a uh, a nurse during a, a pandemic at all, or did or were you just like thrown into it and <laughs> just accepted it? <laughs> no, I think with uh with the nursing profession, a lot of other professions are the same way. But it's um you have to be flexible and you have to be able to accommodate to changes. And you know a patient status can quickly decline, and you have to be prepared to respond to that. Um, and it's not really anticipated. So while this pandemic wasn't um, anticipated um, or planned, you know, it's kind of, um, and I don't, you know, some nurses learn it and some nurses learn it and they kind of have this just ingrained in their genes, I think. And, um, but you, you do it, you accommodate to the change and, and you respond, you constantly assess, um, provide your interventions and reevaluate and you just constantly are doing that with everything that you do. That's awesome. And we have some students in class who are interested in different aspects of healthcare. So how would you, or do you have any advice for keeping in check with mental health for anyone who's going into the healthcare profession? I would say you just gotta take care of yourself as much as possible. Um, try to stay organized, um, do your work. And um, there's a lot of really um, wise and intelligent instructors out there. And so really take what they have to say. Um, there's things, there's times where you're sitting in class and you really don't want to, you know, listen to your instructor sometimes, but it's so important too, um, because you can really learn so much. And so make sure that you're taking care of yourself so you're getting as much out of your instruction as much as possible. And what were some of your challenges towards reaching your career goal? I wouldn't say it was a challenge, but when I was in Texas and looking, and I was wanting to switch my major to nursing, um, it's finding a a good program um, that had a good passing rate of boards so you're prepared as possible and um, and so that was one challenge um, but another challenge was then when I went back and was getting my bachelor's I was working full-time as a nurse um, and I went through two pregnancies <laughs> uh, throughout my bachelor's online and um, 
and it was just challenging um, trying to balance with any career, I think, balance life and um, your professional goals. Um, but you just, you have to have that motivation and that drive and, and you'll get there. Motivation is very important. <laughs> do, you, do you have any advice for people who are going into the healthcare field starting now? Really just, I would say, make sure you're in it for the, for the right reason. You know, you want to have, um, you know, I know a lot of people look at the money or maybe the hours of working three twelves a week and off four days or whatever it is, but really to be really successful, I think it's so important to have um, that compassion and drive to constantly learn um, because healthcare information, like the pandemic, for example, you constantly learn um, as it goes on, as um, you know, new diseases are discovered um, or um, or treatments are ever changing. You constantly need to make sure that you're you're ready to constantly just learn and be a sponge and absorb that information. And so, um, but also have that compassion because. Um, patient bedside care is so important. So I would say those are the two things. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, but that's all that we have for you. Thank you for thank you for meeting with us. You were amazing to talk to. You're very nice. <laughs> and that's all we have for you today on the Knox check-in. A huge thank you once again to Courtney Knuth from District 205 for agreeing to be interviewed, and to Rhea Dahal, Mia Dudgeon, and Jody Gormley for doing the interview. This podcast was produced by me, Dr. Jonah Rubin, with music from Kevin McLeod. On behalf of the Knox College Health Studies Program, this is Jonah Rubin, checking out.